0: Good morning again, Vintage Church. Y'all doing good this morning? I asked the first service how they were feeling, but I figured, you know what, we don't go by feelings around here, so I'm just going to ask you, how are you doing? You're doing good. Okay. Wow, we got to wake up this morning. Look at your neighbor and say, church is better when you're here. Okay, we won't get, our participation is going to be a little sketchy this morning, I see. Now, I'm just making jokes just to lighten it up a little bit. We are on uh, an incredible journey in this series called This Means War, speaking truth to a culture that lies. If you haven't been a part of this series for the last several weeks, I would encourage you to uh, download our Vintage Church app, go back and listen to those messages. I think you'll find that they're helpful. Um, if we're going to engage our culture, we've got to have some understanding of what biblical worldview looks like and how we can speak to these things that we're all facing and dealing with in our in our culture. So... Uh, you can also take notes on the app if you want to do that this morning, uh, if you're more digitally inclined than uh, just using the notes on the paper. But um, before we dive into that this morning, I do want to say, if I haven't had a chance to meet you, my name is Keegan. I'm one of the teaching pastors here at Vintage, and my wife and I, uh, Dara, we'd love to meet you. So immediately after service, we'll be in the commons, and if, if you haven't introduced yourself, just come on up and and uh, let's have a chance to meet this morning. All right, I will say this one. Uh, disclaimer before we get started I'm going to be reading a lot today Um, there's a lot of context we're talking about the war on government and uh, before I get into it I want to make this very clear we're not this message is not about the church against government this message is going to be about how the enemy is trying to influence government and how there's a spiritual battle there that we need to take part in as believers is that understood so this is not well this church is anti-government no we are not we are, we are here to talk about how we can do our part to influence government to be what God has called it and designed it to be. So I just want to get that out of the way so there's no confusion. Um, but throughout the series, as you know, we've been talking about how the culture of this world is, is at war with the culture of God and how our lives will ultimately go according to which culture we align ourselves with. Matthew 6.10 says, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Look at your neighbor again and say, you are part of God's solution for this world. Come on. We are called to engage. And this is a topic that a lot of Christians have kind of backed themselves away from. They don't necessarily know how to engage, and so they just choose to to step back and not get involved and just, well, we'll see what happens, and then we'll just pray about it. And and that's just not what we're called to do. Um, In addition to praying, God calls us to raise our voice. And to do our part. And we're going to get into that more. But I know by default, most of us grow up aligned with the culture of the world, the perversion of what God has created, because that is what we are bombarded with every single day. And we don't have the knowledge of the kingdom of God to combat that bombardment. Unless you were raised in a Christian home where your parents were very intentional about teaching you what the Bible has to say in regards to government and leadership and politics, you may just have an understanding that's similar to everyone else who's in the world. Because you just don't know. And ignorance, although it can be a reason why you may find yourself in that place today, it can't be our excuse to not uh, engage in this. you hear what I'm saying? We are called to, to have a part and to play a part. Hosea 4.6 says, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I will reject you from serving as my priest. We don't want to be destroyed for lack of knowledge. The influence of our culture... Has happened a little at a time by people moving away from God and replacing God, who created everything, who defines what truth is, with lies that God doesn't exist, or even if He does, He doesn't care. I'm gonna tell you, God cares about every single thing that we do in our lives. Every decision we make, God cares about. If you don't believe me, go back and read where He talks about even the, the hairs on your head, He's numbered and counted. A God that is going to know that the amount of hairs coming out of your skull is is not going to be disconcerned with bigger affairs, right? He tells us that so that we know, wow, this God we serve is interested in the most intricate details of our life, and that includes politics and government. Write this down if you're taking notes. This is the enemy's goal. Make no mistake. His goal is to remove knowledge about God and his goodness and replace it with knowledge that is contrary to God's design for humanity. And we're seeing this in all different aspects. But did you know it's up to us to stand against it, to stand firm for God and his ways? See, the media and, and social media is full of people spewing out what the enemy thinks and wants to tell us about life and, and God and whether he even exists or that if he cares or. or you know, you'll know, you hear people say, well, I just don't even know, how could there be a God you know, that cares if all of this terrible stuff is happening? Well, listen, terrible stuff happens because people have a sin nature, and people who are not submitted to God do terrible things, yep. right? It's not just God up there going, well, just have your way. I'm not involved. I put you guys on the earth. You figure it out. No, that's not how it works. That's not how he's thinking. But God also gave us a free will. And so people are going to operate from whatever they think is right, and if that's not God's ideas and God's ways, you know, there's no telling what people will do. You've probably heard this ancient adage, with great power comes great responsibility. We have been given the responsibility and authority as members of God's family to establish his ways on earth. This should be exciting. We have a role to play. There's a reason why you are living and breathing. And it's not just to you know, pay taxes and have a good time and, and do whatever you want to do. No, God has a purpose for each and every one of our lives that's tied to his great purpose and story for humanity. And so we can't just pick and choose, well, if this, in this part of life, I'll check in and in this part, I won't. No, every aspect of our lives, we need to be surrendered to God and be fulfilling our purpose in, in what our role is to be. Matthew eighteen nineteen through through 20 says, Again, truly I tell you, if two of you on earth agree about any matter that you pray for, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there among them. And in Matthew sixteen eighteen I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. Now this is an interesting scripture because when Jesus is saying church here, he's not talking about the building. He's not just talking about the temple. This word is a Greek word, uh, that is ecclesia. I may not be pronouncing it the way a Greek scholar might, but, but this is the word. And what that word is, is the body of Christ. It's the believers who are on earth. Somebody say you and I. You and I. Or say me. me. That's right. I'm part. If I'm a believer and a follower of Jesus, I'm a part of this ecclesia. And Jesus chose this Greek word, which was a non-religious Greek word that was very well known in the context of civic duty. A gathering of citizens, two or three people of a particular country or government, called out of their homes into some public space of the council for the purpose of deliberating in public matters. They, they've gathered to make some civic decisions. So listen to this. Jesus was going to build a people who would understand their place of authority as citizens of heaven with the purpose of bringing heaven's influence to all the spheres of influence on earth. And here's the good news, like I just read. The powers of hell cannot stand against it. We are part, as as part of the body, as part of the ecclesia. We're part of an unstoppable force known as the kingdom of God. That's good news. That means as you engage in conversations about politics, and last week we talked about education. As you get into these uh, conversations, listen. If you're standing for the truth of God's word, you're going to win. Now it doesn't mean you're going to win that argument right? You might not necessarily win that particular argument, but can I tell you, if you stand for what God tells you to stand for, in the end, when everything else is crumbling down, you'll still be standing. It's powerful. This called out people are to lead and influence in every area of culture. Do you know roughly only 3% of church members will have a role in full-time ministry, and 97 of the other 97% are called to use their gifts outside of, of the church? You know, I heard one pastor one time say, they didn't want to pastor anymore of their church because, you know, they said every week that people would come and there's all these hundreds of people and, and maybe even thousands of people. And, and he said, you know, they don't get to use their gifts, you know, in that, in that moment on a Sunday. And so that really bothered him and, and to the point where he's like, well, I, just, and I don't think that that's, that's right. And I thought to myself... But not everybody's supposed to be using their gift right here on a Sunday morning for this particular thing. Like, we can't have 38 pastors up here all trying to preach a message. There'd be a lot of confusion, right? The point is, that's not how God made it. Some of you are brilliant, you know, in, in whatever you're doing, and you're called to be in the sphere that you're in, whether you're in education or, or whether you're in the medical field, whether you're an accountant, you know, on and on. Whatever God has placed you in, that's where you're supposed to have your influence, And that's where God's gifted you and enabled you. And that's where you're called to shine your light. So we're going to go look at this biblical idea today. Uh, You can write this down. Christians are called to engage in politics and influence government. You'll hear a lot of pastors nowadays that don't believe that. You hear people say, you know what? I just, I don't think as Christians it's our place, you know, to get involved in politics. Well, let me ask you this. Are you... Are you going to be affected by the decisions that are made by politicians? Yes. So why would you not exercise the right and the freedom that we have in this country to try and influence that to vote for righteousness? And I'll make this very clear. This this whole topic, this whole conversation about government, this is not a, uh, you should be a part of this party or we're endorsing this party. What we're talking about as believers is that we are called to vote in righteousness, and to do our very best to back and support people who are submitted to God, surrendered to him and to his ways. Amen? And so I don't care if they're Democrat, Republican, Independent, who even knows what all these other groups are that are out there now. I'm not concerned as much about that. What I get concerned about personally when I go to vote is I'm looking at what do these people stand for, whether this man or this woman, what do they stand for, and how does it line up with what God says we ought to stand for. And if somebody doesn't vote, and here's, here's where it gets tricky, because I know there's things where some of the things fall in line with what God stands for and some don't. Then what do you do? I'm going to tell you what I told the first service. Ask the Holy Spirit who you should vote for. Seriously. How many of you have ever, when you went into an election and you're in that, that, that polling booth, how many of you said, Holy Spirit, lead me and guide me in, in my voting? Have you ever done that? Do you know the Holy Spirit cares about that? He'll tell you. And here's the other thing when it comes to voting. Listen, there's no perfect candidate. There's no perfect person in that, that we're voting for that, that is 100% lined up with everything that God stands for. And, right? we, we know there's some, there's some struggle there. But at the end of the day, we've got to still do the best that we can with the knowledge that we have and what God tells us to do. And still casting a vote is part of our responsibility as a believer versus just saying, you know what, because I don't agree 100% with any one of them, I'm just not going to vote. Well, then, if that's what you choose to do, I can just tell you this. Don't come talk to me about politics and how bad it is. Because, you know, my mom taught me, unless you're going to be a part of the solution, don't, t- don't complain to me about the problem. You know, we've got to do our part. There's Christians that just want to ramble on social media and all these different areas and they want to complain and bicker. Listen, if you're not praying for our government, praying for our leaders like God has instructed, and you're not doing your part to influence that, you really don't have anything to talk about. You don't have any skin in the game, as they say. So I'm not going to go through the etymology of the word politics, even though I... I think it's helpful, but just know this, the history of the word politics, the etymology, if you study it out, which is just the history of the word, you're going to understand that it's directly related to responsibility as a citizen. We have a responsibility. The religious tried to get Jesus to do the same thing culture is doing to us today, to pit politics and faith against each other. It's the same way they try and pit, you know, science and faith against each other. Listen, we don't have to do that. God never called them to be pitted against each other. They're both things that God designed and created. God is the author of science. God is the author of government and politics. Now, he may not be the author of some of our government and some of our politics, but the idea of politics comes from God. It's not a man-made thing. Remember this moment in Scripture in Mark 12, where the Pharisees and Herodians tried to trap Jesus by asking him whether or not they should pay his taxes, says, well then, Jesus said, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and give to God what belongs to God. His reply completely amazed them. You know, they wanted to trap him. They were looking for this Jesus to to justify them being able to rebel against the government. That's what they wanted Jesus to say. They wanted an out. What did Jesus say? Pay your taxes. What What is Jesus still telling us today? Pay our taxes. Obey the laws of the land. Right? We don't get to just... You know, play our, well, I don't know, officer, you didn't see that I'm actually a citizen of heaven. I'm just passing through here. So your laws really don't apply to me. No, they do. And you should pay that speeding ticket if you get one. Because God gave us authority. I've heard pastors say, well, God doesn't care how we vote and, you know, and all these things. That's just not true. God cares about everything we do, like I said earlier. The question is, do we value our citizenship on earth more than our citizenship in heaven? The only time you get to not obey the laws of the land is when those laws are in direct, and I mean direct opposition to what God says. Right? If our government tries to tell us that we can't worship God, guess what? I'm still gonna worship God because I have a higher authority. And there may be persecution. Come on, that happens some in the Bible, but they didn't stop worshiping God. The only time we're, we're told that we can defy our government is when they're directly defying God. While we shouldn't be caught up in the lust for power that is often inseparable from politics, we should use our faith in the context of our freedom to influence policy for righteousness. Like I said, we've got a part to play. And now that we've established that we have got a part to play as Christians, we aren't called to disengage in politics. Let's talk more about the, this war on government. Number one, you need to understand actually, before number one, the government's purpose is to establish laws, maintain order, provide security, protect citizens from external threats, promote general welfare by promoting public service, and protect basic human rights like the right to life, liberty, and to possess property. Number one, the government is meant to mitigate the consequences of sin. The first laws and ordinances ever created by God came during the Exodus around 1445 B.C. This is not just the Ten Commandments. God gave them governing laws to protect their relationship with him and each other. The Israelites, it's debated a little bit, but, but there was around 613 some laws that God gave his people in addition to these Ten Commandments about how to live and function in society together. He gave them rules to live by. How I many you know rules are good? Rules are not designed to hinder our life. Rules are designed to give us freedom in life. You know, my daughter, if, because I have a fence all the way around my backyard, has greater freedom because I know I can let her outside and I don't have to see exactly which spot she's in. I know she's safe in all of it. That's what rules are for. That's what laws should do. They give us these safety measures to where now we can, we can be free to move about the country. Be free to move about our, our way. Romans 13, 1 and 3 and 4 says, Let everyone submit to the governing authorities, since there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are instituted by God. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct. Come on, I've never had the, the police give me a hard time for obeying the law. I've never had an officer pull me over and say, You know what? I can't stand that you are absolutely following this speed limit. It just doesn't happen, right? It's not for that. Do you want to be unafraid of the one in authority? Then do what is good, and you will have its approval, for it is God's servant for your good. Come on, we don't don't worry about consequences of breaking the law until we're breaking the law. Right? It's just natural. Let's look quickly about, uh, let's talk for a moment about government that is instituted by God, because this can be a little tricky. Sometimes this verse is misread, misquoted, and misapplied to say that all government is good. That's not what we're saying. Let's look a little closer. First, it says there is no authority except from God. Does this mean that all authority is from God? I ask this question, did God put Hitler in place? I don't believe so. I believe that what this is saying is that the true authority, not stolen authority or authority built on tyranny and lies, but true righteous authority is only legitimate authority if God has established it. That's saying a lot to say that there are people that will get put in authority... Uh, They may trick their way into it. They may find other ways to get there. And that doesn't mean that they're legitimate authority. Now, when they're in a position, we still have to honor that and deal with it. But it doesn't mean that they were necessarily God's intention or his design for authority. But God also, I will say this, because a lot of Christians don't think that, that God would allow an evil authority. But if you go back through your Bible, how many times did God's people after he had given them chance after chance to live right and do what's right and they refused, how many times did he turn them over to experience some less than righteous authority? Right? To get them back to a place where they recognize they're wrong and turn and repent. And then he says, okay, now I'm gonna relieve you from that and you can go back under my authority. So sometimes... You know, you, you may, and people get into this, especially around election years, you know, it's like, well, this is God's person and this one's not. And so if this person wins, then clearly God's behind it. And if this person wins, then I guess the enemy won this time, you know, but we're still going to win the war. That's not how this goes. Sometimes God will look at a nation and look at his people and say, you know what? You're not following me. And I'm, I'm trying to tell you that I'm the better answer. I'm the better way, but you won't do it. So try this out for a little while and see how that feels. And his point isn't to bring harm to us, it's to get us to wake up and acknowledge him and put him back in his rightful place. We don't always like it, but that's just the reality. Rulers are not a terror to good, but to bad. What is this saying? Again, I think Paul is defining what a legitimate ruler is. Keep in mind that the ruler of Rome at this time was lighting Christians on fire as entertainment. Surely Paul isn't asserting that as good. It's God's servant for your good. Paul is describing legitimate rule and authority, which is the authority that is a servant of God to do good for you. That's the purpose of authority. Do you know whether it's authority in the church or authority in, in the schools and the government? Authority is not designed there to lord over you. Authority is meant to be a protection. It's meant to keep order. Authority is there for our benefit. Number two, laws are necessary to prevent Lawlessness. Government is needed because of the nature of sin in humanity. Come on, we have to have consequences for when people do things that are wrong. We all know that. If we don't, what do we have? Chaos. Right? If I think that, you know, even in the simplest form, if I believe that you need to stop at a stoplight and not just ignore it, if you don't believe that, what happens? Crashes. (laughs) Right? You can't say, well, I just don't believe in stop signs. It's just not part of, you know, what I think. Well, then please stay off the road until you change your mind. (laughs) You know, green means go, light means slow down, not speed up so I can make it so I don't have to wait. Okay, for some of you it means speed up (laughs) so I don't have to wait. But we have to have laws. They're necessary. Our founding fathers, when forming our Constitution, pulled directly from the Bible to create the Constitution. Now, I know modern people will try and tell you that's not the case, but it was. It was. They did not want what they came from, nor what they observed, which was monarchies and dictatorships. By the way, half of the signers of the Declaration of Independence were theologians. I'm going to go through this fast, but I, I do think it's important. Just so you understand their thinking as they were a part of this. James Wilson, the Supreme Court justice and signer of the Constitution, said, "Human law must rest its authority ultimately upon the authority of that which is divine. Far from being rivals or enemies, religion and law, religion and law are twin sisters, friends and mutual assistance." John Adams said this. We have no government armed in power capable of contending in human passions unbridled by morality and religion. Our constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate to the government of any other. What Adams is saying is that the, the constitution is inadequate to deal with a people unless they are governed internally, seeing themselves before God and consistent with his word. Right, ultimately, the only way we have uh, order is if people are governed internally because we all know there's no legislature out there that can, that can manage the heart of people, right? We got laws that clearly say it's wrong to murder and yet we still see murders, right? The law is not powerful enough to change the condition of the human heart and determine what your behavior is gonna be. That's why God put the ecclesia, his church, his body in the earth to be the light because only Jesus can change a heart. And ultimately, I don't care how many sermons you come and listen to or or how much you read your Bible, if Jesus isn't changing your heart and doesn't own your heart and have you, then your behavior is still left up to you. And it doesn't matter how much you know. I'll continue. Our founding fathers understood that true freedom could only only stand if biblical truths and the morals that come from them were practiced. That's what causes men to do good. To one another, And one more quote from George Washington, who was the first president, excuse me, and signer of the Constitution. He said this, it is impossible to rightly govern without the Bible. He didn't say that it was impossible to govern. He said to rightly govern. And we know that's the case. Because only God is the author of truth. And only God knows ultimately what is right and what is wrong. What's best for us and what will destroy us. And so if our laws aren't built upon that, then they're going to be shaky. And they're going to be flimsy and they're going to fall down. They won't stand the test of time. Number three, you can't separate moral law from biblical principles. I found this interesting. It was not unusual in the recording of the legislature of this country when an individual would stand up and propose a new law for someone to say, where do you find that in scripture? I wonder if they still do that in, in, in Washington, D.C., no, instead, they, they, they write 800-page new laws and legislation and try and sneak them in to get past at different hours of night and all this kind of... I mean, you hear all kinds of crazy things, right? I don't think anybody's going, hey, before we pass this, have we consulted God? And as a result, we get more and more legislature that doesn't reflect God, what God thinks. Number four, history always repeats itself no matter how hard you try to rewrite it. You want to know why? Because human nature hasn't changed. Humans have been sinning and and falling for the same lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, the pride of life since the garden. It's it's just continued on. We're no different than Adam and Eve. We want what we want. If given the choice, we'd love to do it our way. Thank you very much. You know, we're all self-centered, selfish by nature, looking out for ourselves, the way it goes unless we're submitted to God so let's talk about the shift a little bit in 1859 Darwin published his origin of species some of the highly educated community began to propagate Darwin's writings in 1870 the president of Harvard University appointed as head over the law department a man who completely believed in Darwin's theories Blackstone was thrown out new methods and ideas based on studying laws of science were taught which gave no place for God A humanistic, secular, anti-God worldview uh, was being propagated. And in case you're not familiar with William Blackstone, this is what he had said. This is what was established at Harvard before this. As a man depends absolutely upon his maker for everything, it is necessary that he should in all points conform to his maker's will. This will of his maker is called the law of nature. This law of nature dictated by God himself is, of course, superior in obligation to any other. It is binding over all the globe in all countries and at all times. No human laws are of any validity if contrary to this. And such of them as are valid derive all their force and all their authority from this original. See, Blackstone knew that there's no point in trying to make laws if it's not founded on, on God and on his word. But by the 1930s and 40s, secular historians began representing or sorry, presenting in their writing a different view of our history. Rather than that of strong religious biblical worldview regarding the forming of our country and constitution, they wrote that, quote, our country was founded on humanistic values and ideals and primarily for economic reasons. Start taking God out of history. And on and on we've seen the result. Karl Marx said this, a people without a heritage are easily persuaded. He knew if you rewrite the history of a people, you could change what they believe in the present. How many of you know that's happening right now? Go, if you don't believe me, compare your history book that your kid's uh, being taught from right now with the ones you were taught with 10, 20, 30 years ago or more. Vastly different. Number five, the more God is removed from culture, the more chaos reigns. I think you're all s- slick enough to know that I don't need to go much further into that. Apart from God, the only option is Chaos. Because he's the God of order. As we close this morning, y'all doing all right? Just give me a couple more minutes. I know this is heavy stuff. It's not a real super preachy, engaging kind of a message. But I do think it's solid. And I think it's necessary for us to talk about this. And to know how to act and how to take our Christianity and our faith into the government and the politics. So what is our role as Christians? Matthew 5, 13, and 14. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt should lose its taste, how can it be made salty? It's no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. You know, in this passage, in, well, in John eight twelve, Jesus refers to himself as the light, but in this passage, he says that you and me are the light. You got to let that sink in. We're called to be a light. Lights that are hidden, that don't shine, don't do anybody any good. Our lives are meant to shine for him. And part of the ways we do that is by speaking up. We've gotta get back engaged in government and and in politics. And here's how we do it. Number one, we stay informed. You know, in case you didn't know, we still have three branches of government, the executive, the legislative, and the judicial. We should know what the laws are that are trying to be passed. Know the main leaders on both the national and especially local levels. Know who's running things. Do a little research. And then number two, keep praying. I pray every night with my daughter Tahila. We pray for salvation for our leaders, for revival in our country. You know, I don't know if President Biden or Vice President Harris are are believers or not. You know, I've never sat and talks with them, but I can tell you, I pray that they would know God in case they don't. And all of our other government officials and leaders, you need to pray. If you're not praying consistently, that's an area that you need to step it up. You need to engage and pray. Number three, cast your vote. And number four, get involved. Don't let another campaign season or, or election cycle pass you by without you engaging. If you're a believer, you're called to play a part. You're called to engage. And stop waiting for Jesus to be on the ballot. Listen, even when he was here on the earth physically, he didn't sign up for any elections. Right? He engaged in the political sphere and he confronted but he didn't, he didn't try to get voted in. He's after hearts. Romans 8 19 says, For the creation eagerly waits with anticipation for God's sons to be revealed. You know, we've just got to step up, can't just sit idly by. And just hope that God will just somehow magically from heaven fix it all. It's not how it works. He works through us. He works through people. And just like the enemies out there trying to influence people, God wants us to be a light so that people know there's a better way. I'm going to close. I know I'm three minutes over our normal time. But I think this is really important. Because being a Christian is so much more than just coming in here once a week and hearing a great message or being a part of a great worship time or hanging out with people that are friendly. This should be a place where we come in and we celebrate the fact that we're shining, we've been shining our light all week long and God's using us to make a difference. Amen. Would you just close your head, close your head, close your eyes and bow your head. what happens when you talk too much before I pray and dismiss or I'm not going to dismiss but before I pray and Rita comes up I just want to give you a chance if if you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life if you've been just living based off the best decisions that you know how to make with what you've known but you're calling your own shots in your own life and you realize that you know what I know there's a better way, and that better way is following Jesus, surrendering my life. I'm going to give you that chance to do that this morning. So I'm going to ask you, I'm not going to belabor it, but on the count of three, if that's you, with every head bowed, every eye closed, if you say, I want to give my life to Jesus for the first time, or, or even rededicate my life because I've drifted away, and I've started just living for myself again, and I want to make a difference, I want my life to make a difference, i me ask you to raise your hand, one, two, three. If that's you, just slip your hand up. No one's looking around. We're not going to embarrass you. And we're going to say this prayer. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says this. If you confess your mouth, Jesus, confess with your mouth, Jesus says, Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. If that's you, even if you're too nervous to raise your hand, I want you to say this prayer with us and just say it from your heart. And I'll ask everybody to repeat after me. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, to die in my place, to pay the penalty for my sin, to take my place. I acknowledge that I need you I confess my sin and ask you to forgive me and become the Lord of my life, my Savior and my Lord, in this moment and forever. I will follow you wherever you lead. In Jesus' name, amen.